everyone, and welcome Nerdy Knights of the Well-Rounded Table aboard Bohemian Geek Studies Millennium Fandom. I'm Padawan Learner, Sarah O'Connor, that queen of queries and defender of droids, pew pew, and we are back with part four, our finale of our Ezra Bridger character study, which is the Master and Apprentice mailbag. But before we dive in, let's check in with the rest of our Nerdy Knights that we have here today. Hello there. Mm. I'm Jedi Master and Rebel Scum collaborator Colleen McMillan. And I am Pirate Jedi Anders Drew. And you know me run the gambit here in terms of rank from Padawan to Master, but no matter your rank or your affiliation in the galaxy, one thing remains the same, much to learn we still have. Mm-hmm. Last time on Bohemian Geek Studies, we finished our discussion of Colleen's incredible essay about Ezra Bridger. And once we have a website, we'll have it up. Um, so stay tuned and enjoy. Until then, and now that we got to enjoy that glorious piece of work that Jucasta knew would enshrine in the Jedi archives on Coruscant, if she had her chance, it is time for us to turn to our Master and Apprentice section to answer some fantastic questions submitted to us and some that we came up with ourselves. As always, this episode is spoiler-filled for all four seasons of Rebels and Beyond, so if you haven't gotten a chance to watch Rebels yet, I'm honored that you're here or listened to other episodes of this character study. We would strongly suggest that you please go enjoy them and come back to us to enjoy part four with us later so you can get a deeper appreciation. However, if you have enjoyed Rebels like we have and our other episodes, then grab your favorite drink from the cantina and prepare to relax and unwind as we engage your mind. You all ready to punch it? Let's do it. All right, then let's go. First up in our Master Apprentice is two questions from Tori Wentworth, who is fantastic. And this one I'm going to largely punt to you two. How much collaboration do you think is in the future for Timothy Zane and Dave Filoni, considering Thrawn is Zane's baby and Rebels slash Ezra is Filoni's? What do you two think? And Colleen, you can go first. All right. Well, this is my dream, dream team up. (laughs) Tori actually calls it Zaloni. Oh, that's great. (laughs) We often talk about how we desperately want this to happen. Um, I would hope that anything concerning Thrawn in particular would be first established with Timothy Zahn. Um, even if he doesn't get like a direct writing credit on an episode or on a movie, I can't imagine Filoni would be ignoring that depth of character and story knowledge that Zahn brings to the table. Yeah. Especially now that the first canon Thrawn trilogy is complete and Zahn is already working on the second one. Yep. So there's a lot of instances where I think they could collaborate. I don't know if it'll be direct collaboration, but. Still, gotcha. Gotta and what about questions. And what about you, Anders? Yeah, I think I'm thinking kind of along the same lines. I Just from what I've seen of Filoni in interviews, he seems like the type of person who wouldn't just go off on his own Yeah, and do, and do something like that. So I can't imagine he wouldn't at least reach out and be like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. But yeah, um, considering, you know, Timothy Zahn didn't get a writing credit on any Rebels episodes, you have to assume that that's kind of where that relationship's at, unless they are doing like a direct adaptation of like the Throng trilogy or the forthcoming Ascendancy. Yeah, okay. And I don't have anything to add. So Anders, do you want to pose our next question? That was great, you two. Sure thing. Um, so Tori also asked us, 
is nature itself the neutral middle of the force, kind of like we see through the Bendu? And is Ezra tapping into that middle when he interacts with the Lothwolves and other creatures? And as like a follow-up on that also, can sentient human or alien force-sensitive truly only access the light and dark? Can they gain access to the middle? Ooh, yeah, this is a... I love this question. Really good question. I love it. I mean, nature itself really has no concept of light and dark. It simply is. Um, So I could see it being like the middle or neutral. It's neither malicious nor kind. Like it simply just exists. Um, I think it's the sentient beings, and they can be sentient, like the loath wolves or the pergil, who they're of nature, but they also have this like extra step up from the creatures who aren't necessarily like sentient, um, they bring in the light and dark aspects. Um, is Ezra tapping into the middle when he's communicating with creatures? I, I think it's kind of partly true, but he's also used the dark side to do this, but that was more when he was forcing the Fear Not Queen to act for him. Um, but I do think he needs to use the light side when he's showing creatures that he doesn't mean them any harm. As for accessing the middle directly, I don't know if humans or other beings can stay in that middle state for very long. Um, That is, even if they're able to reach it at all. It may be an inner peace thing when Kanan is able to connect with the Kirkna spiders. That might be him kind of accessing his most peaceful self, his most middle neutral self. I think that could kind of fit in there, but you can't stay in that state forever. Yeah, some really solid points there. you know, kind of quoting my man Sirius Black, we all have light and dark in us. What matters is the power we choose to act on. So nature in and of itself is this combination of light and dark, but that just kind of flows without consciousness. We have storms, we have beautiful sunny days. It just kind of cycles on its own. So it's up to us to choose which of those that we are actually going with and the Star Wars characters who do really find that balance are usually the ones who do actually dabble a little bit in the dark side. They have the ability to go down that path without losing themselves in it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's what balance is defined as, right? That's So, I mean, sometimes when we look at these questions, we really have to consider what are we considering to be nature here, right? Is it within a sentient mind? Is it is it that micro level? Is it a macro level? And so I, I very much concur with Bendu's philosophy and kind of what Anders was mentioning is that it can sometimes fluctuate on the micro level, but generally speaking on the macro level, it is neutral from a macro understanding of what nature yeah. is. But I mean, in the galaxy, I remember at least in maybe the first of the Bane novels, maybe one of the later ones, there are animals that he encounters, and I'd be surprised if this isn't raised in other stories, I'm just blanking on it, frankly, where animals do have a greater affinity for at least the dark side, and I believe Bane talks about how animals have it for both light and dark, and I'd be shocked if he doesn't talk about it being being neutral, but you have to imagine that Bendu is truly, as we talked about, I think in the first episode, part one, that bend in the force. To the extent there is 
like yeah. the tiniest, right? Little, littlest <laughs> of degree so that it continues yeah. to foil in on itself. If you go like far enough, that's what Bendu is. So will anyone reach his entire neutral stance? No, 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 that negates who he is. But you have to wonder also, what kind of bend is it in that we only see Bendu assisting the light side, which yeah, suggests so even Bendu does until he tries to, to kill the ghost crew at the end of season three. Yeah, so <laughs> I think part, yeah. I think that this is an absolutely fascinating question, and so mm -hmm. to the extent others have stances, feel free to submit them. Why don't we kick it to the mm -hmm. next question, Colleen? <laughs> this is a this is an excellent one. This makes yeah. us laugh quite a bit. Uh, next up is our Obi Wan Kenobi dead ringer Jedi Master Matt Harrington, who asks. How many ways do Ezra and Thrawn come up with to kill each other after the Pergil have hyperspaced them away from Lothal? Colleen, why don't you take it oh first? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. I love this question. <laughs> um, it's something I really need to see on screen, like, right now. I need yeah. these kind of interactions, the antagonistic <laughs> relationship that would come out of, basically, the Pergil kidnapping Thrawn <laughs> and taking him to places unknown. Um, ever since finishing up Thrawn Treason, which was the third book in the new canon Thrawn trilogy, and the Rebels finale, of course, I've been waiting for this inevitable Thrawn-Ezra team-up. Yeah. Like, you know, they're going to annoy the hell out of each other a lot, mainly because they're such polar opposites. I cannot wait to watch this happen. Um, as to the killing question from Matt, um... I think Thrawn thinks up at least 1,000 permutations, if not more, within almost a split second. Realizes he'll probably need Ezra to survive yeah. wherever they land. Absolutely. Yeah. That's how he got about there. Yeah. yeah. And then he Thrawn's just goes no back fool. and he's like, he kind of glazes off for a while and he's like, Art, clear my mind, please. Get this annoying whatever Ezra's talking about out of his head. They'll love talking about Sabine's work together. Let's be yes, honest. I can, that's how, I think that's that's how yeah. they want. They're probably going to connect on that. <laughs> Where Ezra, of course, will probably be talking about Sabine like nonstop because that's yep. just Ezra. Um, I don't think Ezra could kill him. him. I don't think Ezra has it in him to kill Thrawn, especially when he's right in front of his face like that. Um, at least not at first. We'll right. need to check back in with him after being stranded in the unknown regions with this like stuffy art snob after a few years. Um, like I, I don't see Ezra exactly being a chore list kind of guy, but I can see him getting mad at Thrawn over very small things. Um, especially if Thrawn comes up with any sort of plans or shenanigans and doesn't tell Ezra about them and also doesn't listen to Ezra when he's trying to plan, I can see that. Just like, yes, I need all of it. All of it. I can see that. I think that that would be a really interesting um, odd couple sitcom to watch. Very much. <laughs> um, Let's survive on this yeah. planet together. I could see Ezra potentially kind of just like hoping the Pergil would have taken care of Thrawn for him. Like it's not so much, his main goal was obviously to just get Thrawn out of the way. But I think you're right. He probably wouldn't have had it in him to just kill him. So he's probably just hoping that the, uh, the Pergil tentacles squeeze it out. Um, as far as Thrawn goes though, I'm just saying, Thrawn thought about this for a max of like two minutes. I think he is just smart enough and quick thinking enough. He came up with some kind of a strategy that says, all right, as soon as I don't need this kid anymore, this is how I'm going to kill him. It's going to be efficient, but also inflict max pain because 
he dragged me out here and then that was it. He called it a day. <laughs> See, and I'm hoping that Ezra influences Thrawn for good and that we get to learn a little bit more about how Thrawn inevitably, in my humble opinion, plans on saving his people. Like, yes. he is the burr of this Hamilton Star Wars endeavor. Of that, I truly <laughs> believe. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. All right. So next up is a question from our friend and perpetual Star Wars fan, Sloan, um, who really loves the whole parent-child dynamic between Kanan and Ezra, and posits that Kanan is more or less the best space dad in Star Wars. Yeah, and it's totally worth discussing the different dad tactics of Kanan, as well as kind of the (laughs) dad off between Kanan and the Mandalorian. But I digress. Like, we don't have to cover the Mandalorian, but I I feel like we at least have to do a head nod to the dad ship lovers. Yeah. So so, younger than his supposed son. (laughs) Wild. So surrogate dad. (laughs) <laughs> Why don't you, Anders, start on focusing on this dad aspect yeah. of Kanan? Yeah, focusing in on, on Space Dad, um, how, however you ultimately want to quantify or qualify Kanan's mentoring and nurturing of Ezra. Mm-hmm. Sloan is positing that we can build off this in terms of Ezra's growth or postulate what would have happened to Ezra mm-hmm. if he didn't have that strong parental figure. Yeah. He needed it. Really, really needed it, as evidenced in season one. I think Sloane's right. I think Kanan wins the Space Dad Award hands down. He doesn't have a lot of competition. (laughs) Not even a little bit, really. Besides Mando, who also has some issues with his fathering techniques. The only other person I could really think of for dad was Bail Organa, who is Leia's adoptive father. Mm. He's arguably... He's a pretty awesome Space Dad. High up on that list of good, responsible, loving space dads. Yeah. Um, what about Owen? <laughs> Uncle Owen. Oh, Uncle Owen does his best. <laughs> Let's just say, if we were talking space moms, I think Aunt Beru would be really high on that list. I think Owen is... <laughs> Owen dot, dot, dot. Owen. <laughs> Owen does his best. I think he lives in a state of perpetual fear that mm-hmm. someone is coming for Luke and that they will die which of course does fucking come true so he's not wrong yeah but he he's a little bit too harsh i think we were this close to having an f free zone (laughs) we were this close shit (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry everyone adult content beware yeah um Let's see. <laughs> Getting back to Kanan, I, I love Kanan's ability to be emotional. Like the yeah. very anti Jedi kind of thing. Um, he will hug Ezra when Ezra is upset, but he also, he still will discipline him like a good dad. And he's just always there for him. He tries some of like the Yoda platitudes on Ezra, but they don't work. Yeah. He says the try or not. Yeah, do or do not. Kanan's always just like, I don't know. I don't know know either. (laughs) He's like, I don't know. Yoda used to say it a lot. Let's move on. Which I wish more parents did with their kids. Like, Mm -hmm. I actually don't know what this platitude means. You're right. This is silly. Yeah. He does. He does ultimately learn what it means, though. He does figure it out. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) I think Kanan's like ability to meld teaching with parenting together for Ezra is huge. Um, we don't see, like we said before, this kind of master Padawan relationship doesn't come around very often. Usually it's very, like, I am your teacher, you are my trainee, 
think Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon kind of edge a little bit more into that older brother, yeah. younger brother kind of dynamic. Um, I think this is probably because Kanan never finished his training and thus mm. wasn't fully indoctrinated into the entire order. Um, but he's always been a little bit different also. He was very curious and asked a lot of questions, even stumping Obi-Wan at one point when he was a youngling, which didn't seem that hard because, of course, we saw in Attack of the Clones that Obi-Wan had to be told by a child that the planet's still there. It's just been taken off the records. Yeah. Like, Someone mm, deleted it. Mm. And of course, like, they're alone. Kanan and Ezra are alone. They don't have this entire Jedi hierarchy with them. So right. they're allowed to bond closer without someone in the background going, you're being too nice to him or he's getting too close to you. They don't have that. Um, for the second part, if Ezra didn't have Kanan, um, he probably could have survived on Lothal for a while, but his increasing force power would mostly have drawn an Inquisitor to him at some point. Yeah. And then he would have been captured or killed, recruited Absolutely. into being an Inquisitor. Absolutely. Um, and as we saw, those empathetic, yeah, he could have, the empathetic abilities would have been very intriguing to Palpatine also. Yeah. If Ezra could contact the world between worlds before he was turned and Palpatine got in there, oof. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that wholesale, especially with respect to what Ezra's fate would have been like. One thing I particularly enjoy every time I do a rewatch is the little hints that they sprinkle in throughout the script about like Kanan and Hera mentioning our kids or yeah. yada yada. It mm -hmm. just, it's just these subtle little cues that help build up what you're visually seeing. And I find it to be incredibly endearing. Anders, was there anything else we, we missed that um, Colleen especially covered? I think I like pretty much everything Colleen um, was talking about. I It's so hard for me to think about the idea of Ezra without Kanan, but then to like try and like do some mental gymnastics to see, you know, what would basically, does that mean that Ezra also doesn't get Hera, Sabine, and the entire rest of the ghost crew? Mm -hmm. So what that could potentially look like and um, it's also just such a great representation here of that Padawan master relationship that, I mean, Colleen, you kind of pointed out, we don't really see anywhere else. Kind of, you get, you get a hint of it with like Obi-Wan and Luke, but like. I would also Wan say Qui-Gon and Anakin. If yeah. only Qui-Gon had been yes. able to stick if around. If Qui-Gon had lived, yes. we probably could have had that. Because case. it's that physical <laughs> intimacy, that mental mm -hmm. intimacy, yep. that emotional acuity regarding what someone nurturing needs, not just in a, like, how to build you up as a warrior, but also right. to build you up in spirit and as, yeah. as, as a, I don't know, as yeah. a compassion. Because most being. of the other ones we've seen actually do turn out to be, you know, Obi-Wan Anakin, Anakin Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> they do kind of all end up becoming like toxic or just a very problematic relationship. <laughs> yeah. So it is really nice to see one. They're that... not honest with each other. Yeah. Yeah. That, what really happens when you talk, when you actually talk? It's so true. That's another Sloan, <laughs> Sloan's favorite. Why aren't they communicating with each other? Yes. yes. That would have solved <laughs> a lot of problems. Excellent. Excellent. How do we feel about moving on to the next question? I think that was beautiful. I think it's great. Okay, next. All right, what do we have next? Oh, yep, this is another good one. Yeah. Quick question from front of the pod, Keith. 
He said or asked, why didn't Ezra build a second lightsaber with the pistol stun gun option? That was an amazing feature. <laughs> I really wondered this too, like despite the hilt style, the stun setting mode made Ezra's lightsaber really unique. I guess it was easier to animate <laughs> a, a more usual lightsaber, yeah. but also that Ezra grew up a little bit and saw himself in a different way and he wanted to look more mature. <laughs> Yeah, I could see that. I think, yeah, he was starting to grow up. The the stun, the specifically that stunner was pretty much reminiscent of his slingshot that he used to have on his wrist. So I think he was kind of ready to let go of that aspect of his life and actually step into just like how his lightsaber changed colors. He was able to kind of willing to step into that new role um, without needing that. Yep. Ditto, ditto. Cool. <laughs> all right, Colleen, next one. Oh, this one. I got all crabby <laughs> about this one. This one comes from pot store Sean Starbird. He emailed us with this article because we had talked about Ezra's like Gryffindory tendencies versus Hufflepuff tendencies in yep. episodes. So he sent us this article that gave all of the specters a Hogwarts house. And okay. of course, this article was basically all Gryffindor for Ezra all the time. Some Slytherin was in there, but it was like, it came down on the side of Gryffindor. And you what, know what why? What do you two think about that? Yeah, well, they, what, they what were the of, reasons? A lot of courage aspects were in there, choosing the morally good road, um, putting yourself in danger, self-sacrifice, things like that. Oh, I don't know. I think... what you two think about that. I mean, what are our puff, our puff things that come into it? The puff he, things, I mean... Yeah, no, go, go ahead, Anders. No, 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 no. Go ahead, Anders. <laughs> I was gonna say, I, yeah, I think because you think about a Hufflepuff, they are, they are just, they are loyal to each other. I mean, there's really not much that separates them out actually from Gryffindors, except for the fact that people think that they're stoners for some reason. Um, Love food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. not by the kitchens, but they're Hufflepuffs are more teamwork. accepting of Gryff Gryffindors as well. Yes, I think so. Yeah. And uh -huh. so I would say, sorry, magazine, you're wrong because Ezra is more accepting of a lot of other people mm -hmm. than the specters are willing to trust. So Ezra yes. is much more trusting and much more open. Yes. He doesn't than, have that moral superiority thing going on. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, like you notice and pay attention for those moments when you're like, oh, that feels a little bit like Harry Potter savior complex there. <laughs> it, it is wow. a little bit more out of tune, at least for me personally, than his more Hufflepuff nature. I mean, he's an orphan who had this, who had this power that he didn't realize until the people came down and like introduced him to this whole world. That's mm -hmm. the first time he actually got off planet and stuff. I, I mean, it's very easy to make. He is that hero figure. Right. That Harry is in the story, so they're right. going to share a lot of the same tropes. So it, could, it is very easy to just say, yeah, he's a Gryffindor, but yeah. I'm with you. I think he's a puff. Yeah, absolutely. Because also, there are times when Gryffindors will be brash and head into a situation without a plan. And you mm -hmm. see Ezra extremely uncomfortable when the when there isn't a plan, and he's yes. willing to take mm -hmm. a stage back. Like yes, yes, I hear people say, yeah, there were some episodes where he was like, oh, promote me, like I'm ready to put yes. me put me in coach. I'm but ready. always with a team. Always but always with, with mm -hmm. always with a team. And so, 
he's still Hufflepuff for me. That's that's where I'm going down, Sean. So um, yeah, stir that pot, Sean. Yeah. So so Anders, is he still Hufflepuff for you? I think yeah, he's still he's still a Hufflepuff for me. I mean, how just, about you? Oh, sorry. I was no. I mean, you know, I mentioned a, a minute ago like how you can draw all the parallels to him and Harry, but he really is by the end. Explored all the animals. He's a newt. He's a newt. He's a newt. And how about how about you, Colleen? I agree. I think he's a puff. I think he has moments where he has that Gryffindor energy, but he always comes back to reset at that Hufflepuff. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, now moving on, and I love this question so much. Submitted to us by Leah Blasco. Anders, um, do you mind sharing it and taking it first? Sure. So Leah asked us. Which of the three lock animals do you, do we all relate to personally and how does that potentially impact how we view Ezra? So for me, I want to say I empathize with the wolves. I love those lock wolves. Um, generally speaking, I am a huge dog person. Uh, I have in the last couple of years kind of really come to realize I don't dislike cats. I just don't get cats. I don't understand. <laughs> That's not so, <laughs> um, so there's that. I mean, you know, in addition, me and the Lothwells being, you know, abnormally kind of large with our extremely long limbs. You know, my uh, my wingspan is actually six inches longer than my height. <laughs> Whoa. Wow! Um, how tall? How tall are you then? I'm six foot three. That's tall. <laughs> That's wild. Um, <laughs> so we can, you know, just like just like the just like the Lothwells, I. Only a few steps, and I've covered a great distance. <laughs> <laughs> Andrews doesn't um, have to forest walk. It's just natural. <laughs> it's just natural. <laughs> um, but then, actually, I mean, as I thought about this, you know, a little bit more, is it just me being a dog person that I like the wolves? I actually, I started to think back, and I, I see myself, you know, when I was younger, I was kind of really fiercely independent. I tried not to rely on other people for anything. If I had a problem, I would sit there. You know, like I was saying with that droid, solving that puzzle, it's about solving the damn puzzle. <laughs> Instead of reaching out and just asking someone, can you help me solve the puzzle? Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, as I've kind of grown a little bit older, I start to really like the importance uh, in my life of really close friendships and my family. So my own little like kind of loth rat to loth wolf journey. Aww. I've gone on. <laughs> Skip the love cat though. I just <laughs> yeah, forget about the cat. <laughs> there's is like I didn't do the cat stage. And then there's me. Give me all the cats. <laughs> I even have my own loath cat. He's behind me over there. His name is Ezra. And yeah. then I have my for real life loath cat Duncan, who has yet to make an appearance this session. Hopefully he will not. Um, I probably identify with the loath cats because I basically am a cat. I'm both friendly, but I will also cut you. <laughs> I, I think I'm more extroverted than most cats are. I enjoy the challenge of making yeah. friends with anyone in a room, though, which a lot of cats will do if they notice that there is one person in the room that doesn't seem to like them. They're like, bam, <laughs> let's go check out that person. That's very much me. Um, I love the confidence that cats possess. Even when they trip over their own foot, they still come out of it looking like poised. Like, no one saw that. <laughs> no one saw that. I still look great. Um, I don't have that natural poise talent. I kind of work on that a little bit. I'm not graceful at all. Um, I also enjoy sleeping well into the afternoon if I'm allowed. 
I, I can stay up really late and then just sleep for an entire day. That's fine. If I could be a cat, I would. What's that like? To be able to sleep late? I, be I've been like that my whole life. I don't know. I've, I've been like it my whole life. I can stay up really late and then just go to sleep until late in the afternoon. As pertaining to Ezra, I guess that's just um, me still in that stage of not quite being at the Loath Wolf stage. I don't know. It's hard. I mean, I just have that deep affinity for cats. And I can imagine myself being just like covered in loath cats like Ezra was. I think I'm at yeah. that stage. It's like, everyone come be my friend. But also, I'm a cat. So no, only like hang out with me for two minutes. <laughs> well, that's quarantine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's where my very slight introverted cat aspects have come out. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I cannot see people for a while. Oh, yeah. Both cats. I am both cat. <laughs> See, and I'm going to say that I have like a split personality because <laughs> about half the time I'll loth cat and half the time I'll loth wolf. So like if I'm trying to interface with people and I'm surrounded by people and I'm like in a good headspace to interact with people, i.e. my headphones are off, like I'm definitely loth cat all the way inquisitive like i love asking people questions i literally am the queen of questions like it can get to be a problem <laughs> how curious i am about people i can be assertive and friendly and protective but like one of the biggest differences is like i will loth wolf my enemies like you don't need to find out about it right now i will lie and wait but i'm also intuitive and constant so like a lot of personality outward facing is loth cat but when it comes to where my headspace normally is i'm definitely howling at the moon trying to like exist it. in the middle trying like to bend it. do this yeah i'm definitely i definitely <laughs> try to bend do my life and my earphones right now like it's all about <laughs> balance um, yes. And then, of course, I have three questions, and I think we might have one other submission. So first is, is Ezra one of the best defenders of droids in the galaxy? Colleen, you discussed earlier that some of his best moments come from when he's concerned for Chopper's welfare. Defends him with his body. I mean, when do we ever see a human do this for their droid? And he resolves conflicts between Rex and Kalani, the former Separatist droid. These are all actions that we don't often, if ever, mm -hmm. see in Star Wars. Although, I would argue that we're starting to see more defending droid progress happening in the newer and newer materials, which yeah. I really appreciate. So, what do you think? And as a friendly reminder, Anders raised this question in part one is it possible for Ezra to connect with droids in the same way he does with mm -hmm. organic creatures? So like, feel free to answer one, both, or a yes. mix of the two, Colleen, Anders, then me. Okay. Um, I think Ezra's on a very short list of defender of droids. He, yeah. he doesn't see them as merely machines, but as beings with feelings and desires. And since droids, they can't connect directly to the force because they lack that organic matter. They're just unable to connect to the Force. Ezra can't connect with them that way, but he his innate ability to understand a person also pertains to droids because he can read them emotionally. The droids do have personality. They have emotions, which come through. 
um, they have a purpose or a function and that personality. So Ezra can kind of glean emotional information from them that way. So I think he can still connect with them. It's just kind of a different way than directly using the force. Which is another great thing that Ezra can do, like have to put in some effort there. <laughs> yeah, I think that those are all really good points. Um, I think part of this might actually be part of why we're able to see this in Ezra is I think the fact that Chopper probably has the most personality of any Star Wars story that we've seen so far. Mm -hmm. He is, um, he is just such a little, sure. I call him like a fireball, <laughs> just like a little, little thing of energy. Yep. He's got, he's sarcastic. He is all over the place. Then we get AP5. <laughs> so <much>. Snape droid. <laughs> yes, the Snape droid. Um, and so, but yeah, the idea, I mean, empathy is, not something that has to be done through the force. It is straight up your ability to just connect with people on a person-to-person -person or person-to-droid basis. Yep. Um, I will point out there were plenty of times in the series where Ezra does his riding chopper and banging his head with a wrench. Yeah. Yeah. So... They have that sibling relationship. <laughs> yeah. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> I think Excellent. Chopper's like the troublesome middle sibling. It's like Zeb's oldest, <laughs> Chopper's the middle, and Ezra's the youngest. Oh, I love it. Well, moving on, and we began touching on this a little bit, so let's not repeat to the extent it kind of is duplicative, but how, if at all, do you think Ezra's journey would have been if the Jedi hadn't fallen and he presumably would have been identified early as a Force user? And we talked about this a little bit, giving shouts to our part three for the Ezra character study. Mm -hmm. Colleen, why don't you take this one first? Um, I think Ezra and Kanan have a lot in common. So I think parts of Ezra would have exhibited when he was a Padawan, a younger Padawan like Kanan's did. Um, the questioning of authority is high on that list. <laughs> I think the temple mostly would have, would have been in for a handful because Ezra just has that willful cat-like nature. He Ezra's going to do what Ezra wants to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it really depends on when they found him and recruited him. Um, age is really big for the Jedi, as we've found out when they said Anakin was too old. Obi-Wan was almost considered too old, and he was three. They were Wild. like, Obi-Wan's a little old. He's three when he was found. And then um, one of Qui-Gon Jinn's friends, Rael Avaros, was seen as very odd because he joined when he was five. Mm. It's like, you're a toddler still, and they think you're too old to be starting the training. Um, once I found that out, I could see why the Jedi were nervous about Anakin joining when he was nine or ten. And then Ezra's 15 when Kanan finds him. But I think he turns out better than most seasoned Jedi. I mean, even Luke. Luke's 19 when yep. Obi-Wan starts training yeah. him so i don't know if age really matters as much as the jedi feared that it did yeah i think that they just wanted they just wanted you to only have attachments to them yeah. they were brainwashing yeah. <laughs> um yes. to put it i could see lightly. i could see ezra turning out because yeah i think that there are some that inquisitiveness that you were touching on the questioning of authority and whatever would still probably come through so i could see him being kind of like a quinlan boss character um, who we saw in Clone Wars and in the uh, Dark Disciple novel. Such a good one. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, Quinlan Boss was a Jedi. 
and he had just like Ezra has this particular affinity for this empathy and connecting with creatures. Quinlan had this kind of really innate ability for I think it's pronounced psychometry or psychometry. I don't know. This idea has to do with the mind. You touch, you touch some, you touch something, and you can kind of like see its history. Yeah. Um, so it's really useful for tracking and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and he was a bit of a rebel as well um, within the Jedi Order. So I could see Ezra turning out something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And let's see. Finally, I have one final question. What do you think Ezra is counting on Sabine for? If you guys had to wager a guess. Ooh. I think that was one thing. Yeah. You go first, Sanders. Uh, that was one thing that I was always kind of confused about. It's like I'm counting on you, and it's like for what? Yeah. Just like a Jedi. <laughs> yeah, just like yeah. Thrown out of vague. Talks to Yoda twice, starts speaking in riddles. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's counting on you, I am. Like um, what? <laughs> I could see him. I could see him counting on her, I mean, to find him. I think that's the conclusion yeah. she ultimately comes to, is that Ezra's counting on me to help him, to reach out, because he's not 100% sure where he's going to end up, if he's going to be able to get himself back, so right. to bring him home. I agree with that. And, and I think also possibly... I mean, I don't think he necessarily included this minutiae detail, right? He didn't exactly have a ton of time. But Sabine wields his saber at the end, doesn't he, right? Yeah, so it's does. also this, like, passing of the sword, literally and figuratively, of, like, mm -hmm. I am trusting you to carry on what we knew we needed to carry on. Come find me. I'm out there. Like, let's get the job done is mm -hmm. kind of yes. how I interpret it. Yes. Because at yeah. first she's like, oh, you're counting on me to protect Lothal, yeah. which I think makes a lot of sense when she's initially thinking it because they think that the Empire is going to come down on them hard Yeah. once yeah. Thrawn is taken out. But then the events of Rogue One happen and the Death Star is deployed and Palpatine uh -huh. and Vader have, their, have other concerns, especially since they think Ezra's gone. They don't think that there's anything really worth going back to Lothal for. Yeah, I think if the rebellion had been crushed, they definitely would have gone back there and tried. There to just wasn't enough resources, everything. is what you're saying. Yeah. All of it was being yeah. like yeah. saved for the big navy that rolled yes. out like yes. later. Yes. There wasn't so any. He had tunnel vision at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was like, "Hmm, this Skywalker kid, he's going to be a problem." You know how right. I know that because his last name is fucking Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, in the end, I think she's right. I think he's counting on her to find him. Gotcha. gotcha he's like, gotcha. I'm not going to be able to find my way back, y'all. <laughs> Sabine, yeah. please come find me. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure, like Anders said before, he probably thought that Thrawn would die. So then he I don't know. I both think so and don't. I don't think so because Ezra could have killed Thrawn. If Ezra wanted Thrawn to be dead, Ezra could have killed Thrawn. Yes. I'm going to disagree with both of you then. No, he didn't. He didn't expect Thrawn to die. I don't believe so. I don't believe so. He was hoping maybe to, bridge, expected, to build think, another bridge, maybe. maybe. <laughs> build another yes. bridge, maybe. Mm -hmm. I feel like we need to deal with this situation in some way. <laughs> but why don't we get to our final mm -hmm. question, I think. Uh, this is, I think, our final submission. Oh, final submission. I apologize. Um, um, nerdy Nights Across the Galaxy, of course. And this is from Netta Atabani. She asks, 
do you think the story would have been more interesting if Ezra had actually turned to the dark side? Ooh. Yeah, this question is loaded, loaded question. Yeah, and it um, ain't too late, girl. Ooh. Ezra's still alive, yo. He's still alive. It's been like five <laughs> years. So a lot yeah. of shit could have happened to him at this point. And he could have turned dark at some point or turned more towards the darkness. Um, I wish the show could have delved into this a little bit more. I think they would have needed five seasons total, though. Yes. One entire yeah. season would have I'm had so to have been dealing with this five. fallout. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think if Ezra had chosen to follow Maul, that could have been a boatload of stories yeah. to come into play. Um, have, I would not be mad at all, also, if we got to spend an entire season <laughs> hanging out with the Danger Snack with Ezra. Um, yeah. I would still want Ezra to go back to Kanan at the end. Um, I think Kanan's death in that aspect might have had even more devastating effect if Ezra had only just recently come back. Or if it was the thing that made him come back, I think that could have been something that would have been a dramatic freaking hammer. <laughs> mm, and now I've made myself sad. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, I agree with you. It would have to be like a full season arc. And I think that there's a lot you could do with that. A lot of the times when like a main character on a show turns like that, it kind of like with the holocron, it only lasts like two episodes from our point of view. And I think you would have definitely needed to do that for a full season. Yeah. Would have been really interesting. We could have kind of actually had a chance to really explore the dark side in ways that they haven't, Star Wars hasn't really done. They haven't shown um, the training. Like we want to see They haven't the really showed all that. It's too dangerous. Uh, <laughs> it's in some then, of legends and some of the books, they show it, but never really on screen. Yeah, they never really get into it. It's um, bad. <laughs> And that also would have been an opportunity with Ezra, not with the main ghost crew, mm -hmm. to explore some like subplots with those characters a little bit more. Yeah. Would have gotten some more Zeb. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would kill for more Zeb. I think we didn't get enough Zeb at the end. Yeah. yeah. I agree. There's really nothing more that I could add. I, I would say, while I think I would have enjoyed it, it's more deeply satisfying and enriching, I think, that Ezra turned out the way he turned out. And I can look at him more akin to like Aang as a Hearier from Atla, uh, okay. as opposed to another kind of Star Wars character predominantly where a, a male might turn toxic for a while and then get a redemption arc. I very much like that Ezra's was only, yeah, it was different <laughs> and it was for a learning purpose. And once that lesson was learned, even though he individually had some temptation, it was still with respect to his true yes. path moving forward. So mm -hmm. I loved how it turned out really. I, I totally yeah. get the mm -hmm. idea of wanting a fan fiction yeah. on something like this. Yeah. Like, yes, I will read it. <laughs> But canonically speaking, I very much am satisfied with the results. I think it showed too how strong his relationships were, that he didn't completely fall. Like his relationship with Kanan was so right. strong that he wasn't going to do that. Right. Yeah. And we really did get to see what you come out the other side of all that with. Like, mm -hmm. you know, a character like Anakin, his redemption happens and he dies. Yeah. And, you know, we Ezra see him as a force ghost. Ezra exactly. doesn't, this is actually, this isn't the end of his journey. That redemption exactly. is not the end. Um, 
So I did have one last question that I think would be kind of interesting to for us to close out on. Um, we touched on this a little bit earlier, I think, um, but now you know we've charted Ezra's growth throughout the series. We followed him all over the place, and in the end, he makes this sacrifice for his family. Question becomes, what happened to him? Where did they go when that per when those Pergil jumped into hyperspace? Where'd they go? Oh, yep. <laughs> We're gonna have to go into another pod series to talk about this with Thrawn because there's a lot, a lot going on here. Yes. Um, this is basically the moment we've been waiting for. Like this is the toughest question to answer because there are so many things that we wanna see happen. And we have to realize we're probably not going to get all of them, even though there's a lot of, a lot of good plot lines flying around that we could use. Right. Um, I think Ezra basically told the Pergil just to like jump anywhere just get us out of here, go into the unknown regions somewhere. Cause he doesn't know where to go. He has never been to the unknown regions. It's like, yep, mm-hmm. just go book us, book us out of here. Um, maybe closer to the Grisk home world than Thrawn would prefer. Ooh. I think that um, having to be that close Thrawn will be like, that will be why he doesn't kill Ezra. It's like, and I need help. Yes, cannot, exactly. Thrawn will un- inevitably need help. One hundred percent. He can't take on the threat by himself. Um, he likes to talk and inspl- and explain things. Thrawn does. Um, but I doubt he'll want to let Ezra in on anything to do with the Chiss and the probable civil war that I think is brewing on Chilla. I think that is going to be another huge thing. And he's not going to want to explain what the Grisk are either at first. Even though he's trying to recruit people to help him against them, I think he still is going to harbor a lot of doubts as to whether Ezra could actually do anything about it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I feel, I don't know. I think he will eventually. He'll be like, all right, I can use this kid or this kid can learn or I can learn from this kid. I think so. I really do. And maybe that's just me wanting wanting it, but I could see it. I could (laughs) see it. It's plausible. Thrawn does accept people. He accepts students and he accepts every once in a while he accepts a friend i don't know if ezra will ever become his friend right i I, could definitely become an ally (laughs) correct at least be an ally they're gonna need each other they're gonna need each other to survive um that's what i see i see an ally i see someone that ezra is going to learn from and i see thrawn actually being surprised at picking up a few things because he's learned not to underestimate this kid right like yeah. he called a fleet of space whales we're gonna have to have a chat about that it's yeah i could use these <laughs> yeah we can use these space whales for something oh that could be interesting yeah there's the no grisk. way thrawn doesn't want to tap into ezra's mind oh like, yeah there's now, no especially way. now he's like this kid is innovative we can do something with this um yes and like you've said sir i want to see ezra draw thrawn out yeah from behind all of these huge emotional walls that he has up um, because this would be super unknown territory for Thrawn. He spent so many years being a hundred steps ahead of everyone, like thousands yeah. of steps ahead of everyone. Yes. <laughs> he's had countless resources at his command pretty much whenever, except when he was a kid. So he's been used to having this and he's used to knowing his enemy. So now he's trapped with an unruly teenage Jedi who doesn't have his lightsaber, <laughs> but he has the force. And of course, Ezra has zero filter. So that's going to be fun for Thrawn. And they probably ha- will have no idea where they are. Just no clue. And Thrawn will be helpless. Like, not as helpless as probably other people would be if they were jettisoned into the unknown regions, but helpless for Thrawn. Um, 
and Ezra, I think, will have this moment where he's not. I think Ezra's going to have to prove that he's actually not helpless. Yep. Ron will have to lean on him, which he's going to hate. And yep. we're going to love so much. I think <laughs> um, so. Yes. I think so. I think that's definitely possible. Just yep. the needing each other kind of aspect will be really fun. And also Ezra's improvisational skills, I think, will kind of be like, hmm. So at first, I think Ezra will more be like Thrawn's kind of screen or his weapon of sorts and then he'll be like ah actually this kid's not easy to kill let's do something with this yeah and what do you think anders to close this out so i think i think that that i think that that's fair i so colleen you're saying in some way he, ezra will probably end up helping thrawn with the chiss and the Chris yes. war that's probably to come interesting he's a good point. de-escalator he is but you know they're in that war maybe they, they you know, the Gris get wiped out or the Chiss end up decimated. And, you know, that's how Palpy's able to uh, rise up on Exegol in the Unknown Regions because the mm. all power structures have been taken out. <laughs> that would um, be interesting because it's like 30 plus years later. Yeah. I think it's an interesting idea. My kind of theories really center on, um, I would say, how the Purgle are using hyperspace, I think. Because the first question you have to ask yourself is, did Ezra physically survive? Did they actually physically survive? Right. They jumped into hyperspace with no windows. So basically they're bare there. And I, I just think, think they pulled a Leia Organa. I am no longer worried about it. Well, hyperspace is different than space. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, thank you. Um, that, that's an interesting space. question. I would guess the Purgle would have to protect them in some way. Yeah. I'm guessing that that's what Especially it is. I think drawn. this is actually the. Um, yep. I think it has to do. There's in a few in a few different like sci-fi shows I've seen. They talk about um, you know accessing faster than light travel or whatever. And there are different ways to do it, or like different quote unquote like frequencies that different engines use. And I would have to imagine the Pergo, um, when they when they go, they are going to a slightly different version of hyperspace mm. than oh, we right. see. Then we see our people go through that organic beings can actually survive in, similar to like the Loth wolves doing their force walk. Mm. That there is something I love going it. on there. They're also, I mean, they do they do that jump from in the atmosphere. At the yeah, end of the yeah, they're in atmo. <laughs> they're in atmo, and they're able to to do this. So I have to think that that's like the explanation for the physical survival. Ooh, that's um, a cool aspect to think. About. You mean you're saying like from atmo to atmo? That's how they do it? If they jump right they into they, another atmosphere, yeah, that'd jump, be crazy. That makes right a lot of sense. Atmosphere. See, I like that a lot. Like, I wasn't, I very much liked planet. it before. <laughs> but yeah, because that is so similar to how the Lothwolves travel. And, yeah. and you don't always see the whales do the circle thing. But at w one of the episodes where yeah, I they, think they're arriving with the gas to get the gas. I can't mm -hmm. remember the title of that one. You two are much better about that. The, the episode? Yeah, the episode the title of this. The call. The call. Okay. Mm -hmm. You see the Purgle whales, as I mentioned, maybe in part two of the Ezra character study, circling above in the sky mm -hmm. in the exact same circle pattern of the Loth wolf. So Anders, I frankly think you are so spot on and I think it's worth seeing if there are other kind of context clues to it because I truly believe that the whales, the wolves, the world yeah. between worlds, it's all tied together. And the fact that it's between atmosphere 
I would love to jump directly from one atmosphere to an that makes so much more sense to me to the natural planet then yeah then we're getting over the then we're getting over the oh yeah we jumped into space still don't have windows yeah Yeah, I love it I love it I love it to space that makes so much sense drop them off at like this planet where they're like this seems to have a nice atmosphere for you mortal people bye And and you know that the Purgles feel for Ezra and care about Ezra's safety because they've ensured that Ezra was able to survive through communication before. So yeah. mm-hmm. I, I and and our whales have fantastic memory. So it's reason to believe that these Purgles have fantastic memories as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I can see them <laughs> just like dropping off the Chimera. And, and yeah. I really hope that the Chimera crew is also okay because there's a lot of people on there that I like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I it was, was not. It was not shown in Rebels. We'll probably talk about that a little bit more with Thrawn, but I don't think the, the Purgil want to kill anybody per se, that they don't no. have to. No. So if, and Ezra's probably on the ship being like, please don't kill everybody on the ship. Well, see, there you go. There's nature being neutral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you mm-hmm. go. Yeah, well, when they I had think... to kill a threat, they killed the threat. Yep. And when it's not really a threat anymore, they're like, hey, just, just, just go. It's fine. Well, I think that that's a great place for us to end. So I'm going to say, why don't you, dear listener, join us again next week to geek out together on our next chosen topic. We'll keep that uh, secret for now, but stay tuned on our channels to see it released. Until then, keep letting other awesome geeks who love exploring Star Wars know about BGS and know that they can find us on iTunes and Spotify and everywhere that you enjoy your podcasts. Send us cool questions that you want answered during our Master and Apprentice sections, or if there's a cool Star Wars tidbit that you think we should include, email us at bohemiangeekstudies at gmail.com. Follow and reach out to us on Twitter at Geek Studies and Instagram at Bohemian Geek Studies. And just get deeper involved in our geeky community that's growing in a galaxy close, close to your ears and your hearts. Thanks so much. Sabers up and keep those episodes streaming. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. See you next time.